Good morning, familia. Good morning. Man, I'm going to need a little bit more espresso this morning. It's a hard morning. Can, can I get a little bit more? Good morning, familia. Good morning. There it is. Listen, I am, I am really grateful that you're here this morning. I'm really grateful that we get the chance to enter again into this rhythm of worship that we've been stepping into together for years. This past week, I, I know I'm weird, but I did this anyways. I counted up, and it's been 819 days since I started serving as your pastor. been two years and two months and 28 days that it's been not only your burden, but my goal and my deepest desire to point you as your shepherd to Jesus, to our great shepherd in the good and in the bad. And this morning, I want to do that again by guiding us back into his word together. I've said it here before, but it bears repeating I'm just an under-shepherd, right? My job has always been to pastor you under the leadership and under the pastoring of our one true shepherd, Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. And so this morning, I want to do things a little bit different, all right? We're going to continue in process and maybe sort through some emotions, but I want us to do it before our Savior, to draw us back to his words by opening up the Bible once again. But I also want us to have time to do it together in prayer, And so we're actually going to take time in the middle of this sermon to practice what we preach by praying together, by intentionally pointing each other to Jesus and allowing ourselves to be pointed by others to Jesus. And I'm saying that on the front end for all the introverts so you can prepare yourself for when that happens. But before we get there, I want us to hear from Jesus out of his word. And so our text, the text that I've been praying my way to and through this week for you is Psalm 42, verses 1 through 5. And and so this morning, if you're able, I actually want to ask you to please stand for God's word. As a familia, you might sit for my words, but as we've done for years, we stand for his. And I actually want us to take some time and read our passage together. All right? So will you read with me? As the deer pants for streams of water... So my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is God's word. You may be seated. Our gracious God, who is present in our weakness and in our weeping, would you allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts here and now to be a holy moment, holy ground where you meet us. May we remember that our worship as we sit under your word is beautiful precisely because of what Jesus has done for us. You are our rock. You are our redeemer. Would you show us again how much you care by meeting us here in your word by your spirit together? Amen. What do we do? When the bottom drops out, 
When th- something shakes us with anger or fear or sadness and it feels like the solid ground we're standing on is, is not really so solid anymore. I still remember the first time I saw that in the life of someone that I thought could not be shaken. It was the first time I remember seeing my father cry as he tried to explain to me what was happening to Abuelo, to, to his father. I wasn't old enough to understand words like, like cancer, but I had heard of words like, like dying in hospital. And if, and if cancer was in that category, I wanted nothing to do with that. But I couldn't help seeing what it did to my father as his tears poured out his soul to me, trying to explain what his father meant to him. Grief is an experience that is filled with all kinds of emotions. Emotions that leak out from our souls, that feel deeply, because God made us to feel deeply. And it's not just sadness that comes out in these moments, right? It's anger and frustration and confusion and fear and disappointment and guilt and shock and devastation and numbness and denial. And I remember watching those emotions try to explain a life through the tears of my father trying and really only getting halfway there because there there are questions that kept interrupting the stories my dad was telling me. Questions that tend to fill our minds and hearts when we feel grief, when we not only have to deal with change, but have to somehow prepare for our transition. These questions, I don't think, are just interruptions. I actually think that the questions grief asks have this incredible capacity to either draw us to or away from God. And I think the beauty of the scriptures is that God himself does not shy away from these questions. He doesn't avoid them. He not only asks them point blank, but he actually engages those questions. Now, don't get me wrong, he doesn't always give answers. But he always responds with himself. And that's what I think God does here in these first five verses of the psalm, why I wanted us to talk through it this morning. The poet asked the first question I want us to consider, and in the middle of everything we're experiencing and feeling and trying to wrestle with, where do we find God in this? Where is he? When can I see him? When will will the fog lift, allowing me to see clearly what he's doing? Is, Is God even here? We feel those questions strongest at funerals and wakes, but... Like Pastor Hannibal said last week, and I've seen it over and over again in the conversations that you and I have had this past week, this moment feels like a death. Like losing not just a family member, but a family. And in that loss, it is easy, even natural to ask, where in the world can I find God in this? So I just want to show you how God's word, I think, invites us to wrestle with that question. Text starts like this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God, my, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? The poet opens with this um, desperate image, right? a, a deer, not a camel who knows how to handle itself in the desert, carries water literally on its back, but a deer that's desperately looking for what has always sustained and not just water, but, but streams of water, right? The, the source, desperately searching, dangerously panting, thirsty. This is the image that comes closest for this poet in his current situation before the Lord. My soul thirsts for you, because I know that in you there is life. You are the living God. And so the question is not whether you can help or whether you have the life I so desperately need. The question is when. When can I get to you? My anguish, it is deep, and it feels like it's never going to end. 
And I just know that the end is in sight only when I'm in your presence. So where are you? When can I get to you? These words, these questions, they meet us in our worst moments when pain feels like the only reality we can see. Or even when we might be running from pain because it's just too much to handle. These words, they meet us with a gentle, but I think pressing reminder that before we get answers to our questions, before God answers the whys and the how could you's, God always responds with himself. He always responds to us with what we need most. Even more than explanations, even more than reasons, he always gives us himself. But then what do we do when our vision might be clouded, not just by our own doubts and tears, but, but even by lies? Why do, what do I do when lies invade, when the, the echoes of doubt crowd out my, my whispers of hope and our desperate desire to see God? Where do we find God when our hearts and souls are hijacked by the enemy of our soul? When Genesis 3 invades our pain by trying to confiscate our hope. The poet knows this moment too. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night, but people, they say to me all day long, where is your God? In the deep pain of this poet, the question of where is God gets an edge because sometimes it feels like no matter where we look, all we see is emptiness. God, God is hard to see in these moments. And, and these, these worries, these fears, they get picked up and amplified by the enemy of our souls who ridicules us when God's ways are difficult to read. When answers are few and, and questions are many. Where is God? Your God, the, right, the, the one you committed to. Don't, don't you see that he's gone? Don't you see that he's abandoned you? Again, uh, another church has, has disappointed you. How, how good could this God be? How good could his church be? It is in these doubts that the enemy fans a flame that consumes us in our grief and in our pain. And to be honest, it's enough to capsize anyone's faith. Until we remember that our faith is anchored in something deeper and stronger than the assault of lies on the vulnerability of our grief. You see, in pain, I think the scriptures tell us that we all have to work our way back down, chain by chain by chain, to remember that the anchor of our soul, like Hebrews says, is not in our circumstances, is not in our own strength, but in the hope of the gospel. We make it through pain like this when lies invade, only when we remember and hold on to and are reminded of being anchored in Jesus. The poet continues to deal with questions because there's always more questions before there are answers. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Even under the assault of accusations from the enemy, the poet remembers. In the midst of his soul melting in sorrow and being poured out before God, he, he remembers. What does he remember? He remembers not only God, but God's people. You see, his soul thirsts for God, but it is God's people that have been the cup, those who have held out God's presence to him. He remembers going to the house of God, covered by the protection of God, but surrounded by the praise of people who are also pursuing God, panting after God. And as he remembers, he hurts. You see, even though I've interweaved some hope in all of this up to this point, our text has not had a whole lot of hope in it yet. Hope is still waiting in verse 5. The poet is still in pain even as he remembers, but he doesn't refuse to remember because it hurts too much. Lydia Brownback says in her book on the Psalms, memory mentors our moods. Memory mentors our moods. It is remembering that helps counsel our emotion in moments of pain. Maybe drawing out more pain, but also drawing us out 
helping us to see the goodness of what God has given us. Remembering the joy of the past, the encouragement of the growth and the beauty of what was may amplify our present sadness, but it also amplifies our desire to be with God's people, to be with God himself, to run to him and remember who he is, what he's done, and who he'll always be, faithful and good and present. That's why before we get to the final verse and look at the hope that I keep talking about, This is where we're doing something a little bit different this morning. After going through grief and questions and just kind of bringing this up, and even in the silence that we have here, I want us to take a moment to pray. And here's why. Because I can read to you God's word, and I can keep talking and give stories and illustrations and, and try to explain. But in moments like this, explanations are not enough. Answers are not enough. We, we seek answers, not just to questions, but to feelings, and those, those two things don't tend to mix well. And so in these moments is when we actually turn to the Lord and give Him, exactly like this psalm is doing, what we're feeling, what we're processing. And I want you to remember not only that the Lord is with us, but that His people are with us, and that we are not alone in this. And so I want us to actually take Five minutes, get together with another person or two, look down your roll, turn around in your chair, and pray. Three things. I want you to take a moment to express your loss. I want you to take another moment to thank him for what he's done. And I want you to pray whatever the Lord puts on your mind and your heart for the person you're praying with. So look down the roll, turn around in your chair, pray with someone. You've got five minutes, so pray like you're on caffeine. (laughs) But I want us to take some moment, and then after five minutes, I'll bring us back in to hear the final verse of our text, experience the response of God in his gospel.
One more minute, familia. Jesus, would you hear our prayers? Would you hear our cries? Would you meet us in our memories, not just of you, but of what you have done? May you use our memories by your Spirit to counsel us in our grief with what you are doing. What you, our God of hope, is doing. Even when we can't see you, even when we can't feel you, you are working, and would you work on us? Amen and amen. Now, this is just a pause in your prayer. You can pray after this service. I won't kick you out. Promise. But I wanted to do that before we get to the final verse of our text, because the final verse of our text is the kind of prayer that the scriptures teach God's people to pray in their pain. It's the kind of prayer that still has questions, but is also bound up with God's response to us in Christ. You see, we need to remember that even though the questions of grief may, the questions of grief may not be completely answered, or sometimes even answered at all, that God always responds. He responds in and through the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And he responds, teaching us to hope in the God of hope, to even hope against hope, especially when the enemy and our own emotions tell us that things are hopeless. To hope when it feels like we can't see past the pain, when, when it's hard to see past September 11th. Grief is real and we can't short-circuit it by rushing past it, but we also can't short-circuit it by ignoring the hope we have in Jesus. By grieving as if 1 Thessalonians 4.13 is not true. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. We grieve in hope, hand in hand with each other. Not just when we lose someone we love, but even as we struggle through the loss of a community that we love. And so I want you to listen to the poet wrestle between what he feels right now and what he knows to be true no matter what, and both can be true at the same time. Look at verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. In his questions, where is God becomes why, my soul, right? Why is everything so hard? 
I, I, we know what we believe, so why are our emotions so overwhelming? Why, why do we freeze in our emotions sometimes or, or feel like we need to fight or, or even run away? I'll tell you why. It's because we're human. And our souls are disturbed when we're disconnected from the one who made us, the one who saved us. You see, before the gospel, we were numb to this kind of feeling, but when he brought us back to life from our death in sin, he has made us sensitive to him again. And when we feel far away from him, the pain of separation, is just, it can just be too much sometimes. Listen, it's okay to ask God why. To struggle with ourselves, within ourselves, and even with each other. That question doesn't have to be disrespectful or dishonoring. And we don't have to avoid asking God why because we're worried that doing so might, might say something like that. We don't trust him. The problem in that question is never the question itself. It's always the heart that's behind that question. Because we can ask God why out of suspicion, but we can also ask God why out of shock and suffering. I mean, even Jesus asked God why. On the cross in Matthew 27 verse 46, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out in deep pain and in deep trust. In other words, it is possible to feel rejected by God and still know that he hasn't rejected us. It is possible to be, feel the pain of this moment and still know that God is always faithful. Because of the response of the gospel in these moments, we are not rejected because Jesus was rejected for us. He is the one who took on all of our pain took on all of our sin, all of our brokenness, all of the sin and brokenness of the world on himself. He doesn't reject us. No, the Son of God was rejected so that we would never be rejected. This is the gospel. And here, the poet models something for us that we need to see, that we need to learn, that I think the Spirit teaches us through his word. We need to learn how to talk to ourselves. The Spirit of God teaches us through His Word how to do this, how to be real with ourselves, knowing that, yes, God calls us to live with eternity in mind with Him on our hearts and our minds, no matter the circumstances, but that we are also creatures that are made in His image, that are in time, with minds and hearts and bodies that feel the pressures of life in this broken world, feel this brokenness. We cannot avoid feeling pain like this because we actually love God and we actually love His people. And loss like this produces that pain. The only way to avoid pain like this is to stop loving. And that is a different kind of pain altogether. We also cannot be buried under this pain. We cannot let this pain bury us because God reminds us that faith, our faith is not in our church, is not in our circumstances, is not in our own strength, but in Him. The one who is always faithful. The questions we've been talking through, these questions, they're important. They're necessary in the process, in processing. They, they communicate a real desire for the pain to be over, to be different. They express a confusion about why we even have to go through this in the first place. But ultimately, they are the cry of people who are really struggling to see God through it all, but are still looking for Him. And we need to look for Him in all of this. Verse 5 is not some kind of... Um, pretending or, or, or ignorance, like, you know, God will make sure everything works out in the end. No, it is a desperate wrestle within to hang on, to refuse to give up, to wait for the God who has been faithful. The God that the scriptures testify to over and over again, who always fulfills his promises. Hope against hope. 
even when we feel hopeless, even when we wrestle to trust him. It's normal. It's natural to struggle in this. These feelings, they're not wrong. These questions are not inappropriate. But the whole point of me being up here and you bringing the word of God to you is to beg you to bring those questions to him. To take time with him. To let the questions of where and when and why to be answered by who. Who is here with us no matter how long it takes or how much it hurts? What do we do when the bottom drops out? We go to the Savior who's present even at the bottom. Put your hope in God is not a command that bypasses pain. It is a command that points us to the Savior because it is the painful why of the cross that's the answer to all of our painful whys, the response to all of the pain we feel. He is our hope. And our circumstances may try to convince us that we've been forgotten as the the waves crash over us, but faith always leads us to the rock that is higher than us. There's a preacher that I really like uh, named Spurgeon who struggled with depression a lot of his life, and one of the, the phrases that he said a lot was, I have learned to kiss the waves that knock me against the rock of ages. Believe in Jesus in the middle of all of this. He is gentle and he calls out to us from the middle of the fog, from the middle of the storm. Believe in Jesus who saved us from our sin and does not abandon us in our pain. We're all in this same situation, wrestling with this same news, but let's be honest, we all feel this pain in a lot of different ways. Some of us might need to to, uh, uh, silently process. Others might need to talk about it over and over and over again. Both of those responses are okay. Some of us might need distractions. Distractions to help us feel it in pieces rather than being overwhelmed by it. Some of us might not even be able to think about anything else until we've worked through this. There's no no right or wrong way to grieve, but, but it also means that there's going to be a lot of gaps between us. There's going to be a lot of gaps in our relationship and gaps in our knowledge Spaces that can cultivate hurt feelings and suspicion because we're not all feeling it the same. And so my prayer is that in all of it, we would be as a family, humble and loving to each other and walk through this together, gracious with each other as we experience it. Why? So that no one is left out. So that no one feels alone in this. So that we don't pretend that things are just the same as they've always been. And it's hard to heal if we hide from each other. It's also hard to heal if we let our anger boil silently under the surface, feeding suspicions that strangle love. We walk through this together, differently, but together, so that together in our different experiences, we might point each other to the one who always remains the same. Jesus is our gospel hope. And so my prayer is that God might give us the compassion of Jesus for one another, that grace would be our rule, that we might put our hope and help each other put our hope in the living God, the resurrected one, our Savior, Jesus. I want to take a moment for us to pray together. And I'm fighting back the urge to multiply words because it is my desperate desire that you would hear me when I say that Jesus still loves you That his church still cares about you, even in the brokenness of all of this. 
when I say his church, Big C Church, the family of God still matters in all of this. And I want us to continue to experience that together in this moment. Would you pray with me? God, would you continue to be gracious to us in this season? Be gracious as we grieve and process and prepare for what you have for us. We gather together this morning not to pretend, but to enter in to, together to what we're struggling with. Remind ourselves of your gospel. Each of us are carrying a sadness that we had a hard time receiving last time when we were together in this space, and, and many have described last week like a gut punch, something they didn't see coming. I know that feeling, Lord. I pray that you would continue to comfort us this morning as we feel the pain again. Maybe even as we feel the pain in a new way as we gather together, would you meet and serve each of us according to our needs and with the comfort of your spirit? Would you help us to, be, to work hard to be aware of each other, to be vulnerable with each other, to be patient and gracious and forgiving and kind as we pray and process and prepare for what comes next? Jesus, you have taken up all of our pain, all of our sorrows, and so we trust you to carry this. And as we follow in your footsteps, we ask you to help us learn how to carry one another's grief in this season. We love you. We entrust each other to you. We entrust ourselves to you. And it's in your name that we pray and ask and plead for you to be with us. Amen and amen.